Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. It's the end of the year, and so the end of Season 5 of the podcast. We are 90 episodes down, excluding all the bonus content, and over 1.2 million recorded downloads in. Thanks to all of you for being here, whether you've been here since Episode 1 or you're just joining. Your support means a lot, whether via Patreon or the homepage donate button, or just by sharing content. We round off the year with a look at the Swedish divinatory ritual known as the Year Walk, which traditionally took place on New Year's Eve, which is why this episode is releasing on that date. Joining me to discuss this, and some of the Swedish forest spirits that a Year Walker might discover, is folklorist Tommy Kasuela. I hope you enjoy the last episode of 2020. So, welcome, Tommy, to the Folklore Podcast. It's lovely to have you here. We've met and spoken a couple of times in person at various conferences, so it's, it's great to be able to, to take that wider now and let more people uh, listen to your work. So, so if, before we start, tell everybody a little bit about your areas of interest in folklore and what you do. Hi, Mark. It's, it's lovely to be here. Um, well, I'm... Uh... I'm a PhD in the history of religions, so I defended uh, my dissertation on the interaction between gods and giants in Old Norse mythology. But at the same time, I've been working with uh, folklore material. So since 2016 already, I've been uh, working full-time at one of Sweden's biggest uh, folklore archives at the Institute for Language and Folklore, uh, an archive that started in 1914, but still, we're still collecting folklore of all kinds today. So I've been working myself mostly with supernatural traditions, with um, uh, different supernatural beings in from folklore from an older age, from the 19th century, mostly. Now, in England, we're not terribly good, perhaps, at collecting folklore anymore like we used to. And, and uh, certainly, as far as the UK is concerned, you know, Scotland and, and Ireland have, have much better um, setups for, for archiving and that sort of thing how is it in sweden is it a very big deal in sweden the working with folklore i wouldn't say it's a big deal you can't for example be a phd in folklore in, in sweden you have to go through finland or even iceland so mm-hmm. it's not not a subject of, of its own at the universities and uh, but we still have we have this old tradition of collecting folklore and the, for example, uh, the, one of the earliest ones was the Nordic Museum in Stockholm. It start, started in late 1800s and also one in Lund. And then we have one in Gothenburg and the one I'm working at in, in, in Uppsala. And all of them are quite old, more than 100 years old. So, and also some Swedes helped build the folklore archives, for example, in Ireland, in Dublin, the Folklore Commission, uh, mm. Carl Wilhelm von Sydow and the father of Max von Sydow. And, uh, oh. uh, and do, do many people hold an interest in folklore still in Sweden? Are those archives accessed fairly regularly? Yes, they are. We have a lot of interest, actually, in uh, what I experience. Many people seem to be very interested in, in the supernatural. Uh, all kinds of uh, supernatural beings like household spirits, forest spirits, uh, magic, folk, folk medicine, all kinds of... Uh, uh, all, all traditions and also about um, uh, this, uh, 
midsummer, how, how it was celebrated earlier, or, or St. Lucy's Day, which will be quite soon. <laughs> so we have a lot of um, stories about that, narratives. And it's that kind of supernatural uh, interest that we're going to focus on today and look at a couple of areas that you have specifically done a lot of work and research in. Uh, and the first of those is is the divinatory practice of the year walk, which I think is something that um, isn't found outside of Sweden or, or Scandinavia particularly. Am I right in saying is it unique to your area? Actually, I would say so. Usually uh, folklore is not bound by borders or anything, but th- this is... Uh depends on how you look how you uh, define sweden because it's it's something that you have in, in southern part of sweden from uh, the landscape of småland and halland bleking in skåne for example um, and that was for a long time a part of denmark but i've been to the folklore archives in copenhagen and looked for uh, anything from the de- from the modern denmark so to speak and i haven't found anything i've spoken to uh, some folklorists from norway and they don't recognize this tradition and I've also been in contact with uh, folklorists in, in Finland. And then actually I found one account of Yearwalk in the Swedish-speaking area. So this is probably related directly to Sweden. So you're right. This is very unusual to, ha- to have um, a practice like this that hasn't spread out wider over time. So explain first off um, what the practice of the year walk is because we're coming up to the time of year when this would normally take place which is yeah, why yeah. we said we would talk about this now uh so tell everybody what the year walk is oh uh it's a divination technique for learning what the next year will will bring uh not for yourself only or your family but for the whole uh village community in a way so if you want to learn this you need to to take uh a certain kind of ritual, uh, perform a ritual, which is kind uh, of uh, quite, quite advanced actually. And this is, uh, we have more than a thousand uh, accounts of this in the archives, but it's also, also mentioned in some older books. The oldest one is from the year 1700, uh, which was by someone called Rudebeck from Småland, and it's what written somewhere between 1697 and 1700 and this is called antiquities from smallland and he describes this ritual uh, it's and there are some other uh, old sources from this from the 18th century 1700s also mentioning this so uh, that seems to say similar things but basically what, what you would need to do and this can be both men and women according to younger traditions anyway but you have to um on uh, New Year's uh, Eve, usually, you need to uh, make certain that you don't see any, any fires, no, no lights at all. Uh, you must be quiet. You must sit. Basically, the best way is go to a cellar or some, some dark, secluded place or a forest, even, and sit by yourself. And you must fast from at least um, from the evening before. So you sit there, you sit there uh, fasting, uh, not seeing any, any light, not talking, speaking to anyone. If you meet someone who speaks to you, you, you can't answer him or her. So what will happen is that on midnight, you will uh, leave this darkness and walk to the parish church or a, or a cluster of churches, sometimes three, sometimes seven. And you walk around them counterclockwise, the magical direction. Uh, and in some uh, accounts, it said that uh, you also breathe into the keyhole of the church. 
And this can be interpreted symbolically as if you are leaving your Christianity there for a, for a while and becoming more sensitive to the supernatural in a way, supernatural world. And what, what's happening then is that you start see things, hear things. Um, you can see, for example, funeral processions uh, with people. Uh, sometimes if you're really unlucky in a way, you will see yourself there, which, which, which will mean that you will die next year. Uh, you can hear things from the fields, how the crops will turn out next year. Uh, for example, the harvest, um, if it's going to be bad or, or good. Uh, you can also maybe hear cannons in the distance, which will mean that it will come a war. There are signs for uh, if it would be famine or diseases, all kinds of things for, for the community as a whole. And sometimes it's even said that if you walk past uh, cottages and look inside the window, you can see who will marry even, because that person might sit with a crown on his, his or her head. And someone, if someone will die, that person will, will be sitting there without a head. So, and also there's all kinds of supernatural um, beings trying to stop or hinder the year walker from finishing this uh, quest. Uh, for example, there are, there are uh, small beings, which easiest way to translate it would be fairies in a way. Yeah. The, the hidden people, underdwellers or something. And they are doing usually quite silly things. And the purpose with this is to make the year walker laugh. Uh, or stray from his or her path, like showing uh, the house on fire or something. And, and yeah, if, if you stray from your path or if you laugh or something, everything would be, would be for no, nothing. So everything would disappear. So the practice normally takes place on New Year's Eve. Is that always the case? I, I, no. I've heard other accounts of it being Christmas Eve, for example. Yep. It, does it normally fall on a significant date or is it just over the Yule period? The, the Christmas period, so to speak, the seven, the, 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 this period is basically the same thing as uh, New Year in all the times. Okay. It falls into each other in a way. But you also have this uh, on, uh, for example, Midsummer, which is also a day uh, associated with divination and uh, mm. omens of all kinds. Do, what do we know about the origins of this? You say the earliest account is probably round about the 1700s, although that yeah. might just be referring to stuff that has been happening earlier than that. Do we know very much at all about where this practice has come from? No, the only thing, it's, it seems to be like a core area in the, the landscape of Småland in Sweden. Uh, but otherwise, this is the oldest account and... Um, According to this account, and you have also some from the 1700s, a little bit later, uh, they're saying that this is an ancient tradition. Uh, so at least it, it ought to be a couple of generations older than uh, around maybe 1600s, maybe 1500s even. But if it goes back to, for example, a pagan or Old Norse traditions, that would be a far stretch, you know, it's a long time period and we have both uh, Catholic faith and then uh, Protestant faith and it must survive all of that. And I, I'm quite uh, skeptical about finding this continu continuity all the, all the while from, mm. from the Old Norse. It, it's, some... 
it's very easy, isn't it, to to look at things and say, well, there, that is probably a continuity from another yeah. practice, but there's there's little evidence often to back that up, and it can be dangerous, I think, to to ascribe that continuity without the evidence, can't it? Yeah, I agree. But there is something in, in the oldest account, which is very curious and very interesting, is that one of the most um, important uh, challengers for the year walker is usually a ghost pig. We can talk about that later called Glosun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the oldest account, it's not, it's not this sow, this, this ghost pig. It's not something else. It's a, it's a rider on top of a horse. And he's, uh, the horse has fire around its head and things like that. So, and this rider is carrying... Um, a rune stick, so to speak, and the year walker wants that because if if he or she gets it, he will become cunning and learn magic. Okay. And and this is obviously kind of a reminder of Odin in a way. Mm. This old man and the source. So so there are perhaps elements of of older practices uh, from from lots of different places that that have kind of over time have, have changed to form. The, the ritual that we see that evidence of now and was this undertaken by people of any class or was this something that was predominantly done by working middle class it, it seems to be mostly rural areas they were working farmers and even fishermen there are some uh, some, some examples of fishermen doing a, a kind of year walk as well but it, it, it seems to be only the uh, rural uh, communities not from the urban areas I can think of similarities perhaps with, with other divinatory practices within folklore, the um, St. Mark's Eve, for example, being, again, a divinatory practice of waiting in the church porch at midnight, which is very similar to this. Do you think these all have a, a common root somewhere, or do you think, um, you know, are, are there other practices in Sweden, for example, which are similar to the year walk, but, but have spread out differently? Yes, as actually, there's many of the different so-called parts of the year walk ritual can be found in other kind of uh, uh, practices, uh, divination practices, but never together and with this name. Uh, year walk in Swedish would be årsgång. It can also be translated as uh, annual walk. Uh, år is year, or uh, so it's something that needs to take place. For some, some of these accounts even say that uh, year walker must uh, repeat this every year. Uh, otherwise, he or she risks being swept away by the devil or something else, or die or something. And this is a problem according to some, some of the narratives when the person is really old, like 80, 90 years going out in this uh, year walk. <laughs> can be quite hard. And... Um... Uh, the accounts that we have of this, you say that there are you know, a, a thousand plus accounts of this. Are they very similar in the accounts of what happens to people or are there big differences between them? Uh, I would say like most folklore, there are so many variations of, 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 uh, of this. Uh, you can find, for example, there are some di- differences between how many churches you should, must circle from one to three to seven to nine to even a bigger number. And this is typical of southern Sweden when the parishes are, the churches are quite uh, close to each other. This would be uh, impossible actually in, in the northern part of Sweden to go to three parish churches. And, and usually, as in some of the accounts, you can use a horse. In some of the accounts, you're supposed to go by foot. 
in some of the accounts you can even be two or three persons but usually it has to be something you do by yourself and and it differs between what kind of um, hindrances there are for the for the walker on the way so yeah there, there are some variations and for example fishermen sometimes don't go to a church they might go around a boat instead uh, close to the beach Yes, because it would fit in with, with their lifestyle, I suppose, yeah. wouldn't it? Uh, and are most of these accounts accounts of what you should do to undertake the year walk? Or do we have accounts of what people experienced whilst doing it as well? Oh, that, that's a really good question. Uh, I was looking at, at that thing quite recently, and there are, if you most of them seem to be like folk legends, different uh, type of, <laughs> of legend. But some of them are more like memorats. They are actually saying that me myself did this, or mm. someone really close my father, or something. Uh, so, that, so there are some, and usually when it comes to memorats, they can differ a little bit from from uh, the, the, the the type of folk legend we see otherwise. Mm. But yeah, but it seems that is as if the year walkers were shunned by by society because. In, in many cases, they are not allowed to say what they have experienced or seen. And this makes them, and usually uh, one of the points with uh, doing this is to, to g- gain something, to gain a, a grimoire, a black magic book or something, and then become mm-hmm. cunning so they can heal people. But as we all know, cunning folk can also uh, hurt people if they want to. If you flip the coin, it's like the mm-hmm. opposite. So, uh, and also if they also know what will happen with people, they go around, uh, according to this anyway, knowing who will die, who will marry, what will happen if there will be some fires somewhere. But they don't, they, 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 they don't say anything. So they can't say anything because they will lose their powers then. So you, you say that these people were, were often shunned for doing this. That implies that perhaps not that many people in a community undertook it. Uh, no. So the majority of people would not follow this practice and would therefore shun those who did. So we just, individuals within a village might might undertake this, perhaps it's not that common. No, no. I would say this is one of many explanations for people gaining some um, magical abilities or, or becoming cunning. It was one of the models, explanation models for, for this, I, I believe. Actually, you can trace it to that. That's, I think it's at its core. So, and there are cunning folk, of course, but they are also uh, not that many in a village community. And they are usually, sometimes they are also shunned because of their practices, but, mm. but they are, yeah, they, they're not that many. And there are probably fewer who are, have, have taken, undertaken this year walk. And is there a point at which the practice pretty much dies out or do we still find it being done now? That's also an interesting question. I would say uh, we can talk also about a, a game that came out, a, a computer game in a way. But in, uh, in the archives, most of the material is collected in the 20th century, meaning uh, first half of the 1900s and reflects the late 1800s in a way. Uh, but already by then, say around 1940, 1950, people are... Some people remembered the walk tradition, but it was something that was almost completely gone by then. And, and uh, so I would say that it's something that actually died out. But there are perhaps still individuals who, who 
follow that tradition uh, uh, just just as their own uh, particular choosing but but not in any kind of organized way no yeah yeah i would yeah. i would think so maybe yeah. okay um and if there are people who do still undertake the year walk perhaps they'd like to get in touch and then i can pass the details on to tommy to, yeah. to add to these archives it would be really interesting to know if people now in the 21st century do still undertake this ritual wouldn't they? The thing is, when this, uh, there was a computer game or a, or a cell phone game, iPhone game it was, <laughs> by a st studio uh, from the south of Sweden, from Malmö, mm. who made, Cosimogo made a, a game called Yearwalk. And it became very critically acclaimed. So I think they, they like, sold 200,000 copies just the first year when it came out in 2013. And then it was bought by Nintendo. It's been on PC or kinds of... And, and they didn't know anything about the, the Yearwalk tradition, actually. They just read a very popular book by a folklorist, Swedish folklorist called Ebbe Schön, but it just has one page where it's like a summary. Mm. And they used a lot of uh, artistic uh, uh, inspiration and just created something based on it. And it was a really good game and I also played it. But after that, it means actually in a way that hundreds of thousands of people have, have walked a virtual year walk in a way. That's really interesting, isn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah, folklore translates to games so often, doesn't it? I'm, I'm minded of the fact that, um, you know, also from your area of the country. In fact, I, I um, talked with Johan Egerkrantz about yeah. about Vesten and, and the, the RPG version of, of his book that, that is now, and it is fantastic as well. I think you've played it too, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I know him, of course. Yes, yes. Um, and I, I, th I think that's one of the... the beauties perhaps of, of folklore that, <coughs> that excuse me that comes out of Sweden is, is that there is this, this fantastic kind of bestiary if you like of supernatural creatures that that actually translate to fiction to games to other things really well it's, it's one of the, the great things about about folklore I think is that it does translate in all these different ways so let's, let's go back to those creatures you you mentioned the ghost pig the glosson yeah. earlier on which I, I think we can't pass up the opportunity to talk about about this because um <laughs> there, there are you know ghost pigs actually occur in other areas within folklore too they are you know they, they cross over in some ways into my research into black dog folklore as well because mm -hmm. there are some similarities between church grims oh, yeah, um, yeah. And, and black dogs uh, and and pigs as well there was research done into that too so yes explain what the glosson is because it's a wonderful creature yeah, it is. It's it's a, it's like um, it's usually associated with yearwalk tradition in Sweden. But there are obviously I recently wrote an article on ghost pigs from all around Sweden. But it's not necessarily gluson, which is this this one. And gluson is usually like a, a big sow. Sometimes she has piglets with her. It sounds very cute, but it's not. <laughs> it's supposed to be cute. <laughs> and this is also the time of the year when it's absolute darkest in a way. Uh, the 13th of December until 1753 was considered the longest night of the year. Then it was moved to, to 21st of December. But <laughs> so we had two, two uh, uh, calendars uh, for, for the folk to, <laughs> to, to look after. But uh, the, the, the gluson is usually like a big sow uh, with um, sometimes burning eyes and a burning mouth. She's very aggressive and she runs towards the year walker, usually at full speed. And her back is formed like a, a razor blade or a saw. And the purpose with her is coming between the legs of the year walker and cleaving the person in two halves. Uh, otherwise, 
if it's, if it's, if she's not cleaving the person, the person might be on top of her back and be is riding somewhere in a crazy ride. Uh, so probably end up dead or 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 mad or something somewhere else. So, and it's just described differently. The color can can um, can differ between white, black, gray. Uh, she sometimes in one account I know her full body is covered in ice. Usually it's just like ordinary ice. So it's, it's very different. And I don't think people really knew. They knew it was something terrible that lurked. <laughs> and and is, this, yeah, is this associated only with the year walk or do we find the Glosen um, in, in Swedish folklore earlier than that or elsewhere to that too? Uh, in the earliest accounts, there's no mentioning of this Glosen. Uh, Glosen comes later. And, and she's not always because, as, as we said earlier, folklore can be <laughs> things. Things tend to to move around, but um, it's it's almost always uh, associated with year walk. But you have other also other ghost pigs in the area of southern Sweden, for example, one uh, uh, like associated with uh, death, especially uh, murdered children, for example. That can it's also in Denmark, Gravsu. Uh, Graves how in a way, and it's, it's very similar sometimes to 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 Gosson. And is this quite a common theme? The go- you say you've you've written recently on the subject mm. of the ghost pig. Do do you find it in lots of different areas in different ways? I, I just I just used the the archive where I'm working for this article on uh, on the, the ghost pigs, big pigs in Sweden. I found 154 accounts just from Uppsala archive on from 20 different landscapes in Sweden. So it's from the Lapland in the north to, to Skåne, the most southern landscape. So it's everywhere. But they are more common in areas where there are more, uh, what do we say, where, where you have pig farmers, mm. where people raise pigs. And is this predominantly Scandinavian, do you think, again? Or do we find this spreading out elsewhere? I found some in Norway. But, for example, Norway, which is you know, it's the same... Uh, but they didn't have as many. It was because they didn't have as much uh, pig farming. But you said that's the same thing about the church grim uh, mm. in in the England. So it's also associated in some cases here with uh, it can be a pig here as well. So then it will become a kind of ghost pig that's protecting the churchyard. It's interesting, isn't it, how you can see these symbols being used on two sides of the same coin. So yeah. what you have something that, that is inherently trying to <laughs> essentially do away with anybody who's doing the year walk. Uh, and then the flip side of that is, is a similar symbol is then used in a protective way ascribed to churches. How do you think that comes about? I think it's the, the traditions about church agreements that, that's usually the first living thing that comes to the ground where the church is is, is uh, built, mm. and we have lots of uh, examples of that. But it's usually it's not usually it's very it's not common with pigs. It's more like a, it can be a rooster or a, a horse or goat or something else. Mm. But there are some cases, and I think pigs are usually even boars. We have boars here as well, which is obviously quite frightening, uh, scary. Uh, but I think it's, and also pigs, uh, they were uh, roamed around freely in the forest usually. So people could encounter them at, at uh, all, all times of year, actually, but when it was dark outside. And 
as we know, kids, some pigs can be quite aggressive, especially mm. if you come between them. It does, doesn't have to be a boar, they are even worse. But if, if you uh, upset uh, us so, 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 it can be quite aggressive, especially towards children. So it might be related to that in a way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And in the, oh, yeah, in Old Norse, you also have this, uh, some, in the warrior ideology in, in Old Norse religion, boars uh, were among the things that they were celebrating together with bears and uh, wolves and things like that. So I think it's in the, some plates, helmet plates, you can also see. And there's also described in Beowulf, for example, uh, boars, boars on their helmets. Yes, yeah, so, so it is quite a, a common theme going back a long way, isn't it? Let's move back into the forest yeah. Again, then, um, because one of your other main areas of research that you've undertaken outside of the Yearwalk traditions is, is into the traditions of forest spirits within Swedish folklore, and, and particularly female forest spirits in yeah. Sweden. Uh, explain the image of the female forest spirit in Swedish folklore and, and what she does. The forest spirit in Swedish folklore is usually it's usually a she. Uh, it's very it's very rare with a with a man, uh, like a forest ruler, a man, and she's usually described as a beautiful, uh, young usually young maiden from from the front, if you meet her, but if you turn her around, there's something about her that's not right. For example, she have her back like be might be like a rotten tree trunk, or she has a cow's tail or a horse tail or even cloven hooves or something which means that she's part animal part uh, something else she usually lures the it's usually the hunters or, or charcoal burners because people didn't venture into the forest by their own free will in in sweden they are quite dangerous the forests uh, this is this is a quite uh, uh contemporary notion about the romantic forests and where you walk uh, you take your hikes and things but people didn't do that because forests were associated with death they were quite dangerous if you walk astray and the forest spirit is something that could actually lure people to walk astray uh, so and she could also approach usually lone hunters or lone charcoal burners uh, when uh, to uh, for sexual encounters so she usually approached them or Show, showed her uh, uh, lower parts and things like that and made them him uh, aroused so they could <laughs> lie together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many, it's actually one of the most popular um, supernatural beings in Swedish folklore uh, is the, this forest spirit. She has many different names also depending on which region. Uh, in Norway, for example, the most common name for a similar being is Huldra, which is Easier to say than Swedish skogsrå, which means forest ruler, actually. actually. Uh, rå in, in Swedish is the same word as ruler. So it's something that rules over an area. And there are some cases of this forest spirit from the, also from the late 1600s, early 1700s, where some people were accused of having uh, this sexual encounter with nature spirits, which the forest spirit is an example of. So they were uh, dragged into court and uh, some of them were actually sentenced to death because they had this, because in the eyes of the church and uh, uh, the government was the same thing as uh, a contract in a way with the devil. And do you think this this character is something that emerges in, in Swedish folklore in the way that, that some 
archetypes do to back up the fact that forests are dangerous places so is this something that that comes about to try and prevent people from entering forests in the first place or or is the is the image much older than that i think it's both older and more complex in a way you could probably uh, scare people to not go into the forest because the forest spirit would be there but I think it's some some things about her has to do with uh, experiences from people. For example, there can be uh, an experienced hunter can actually yeah, maybe he's hunted the same forest for say twenty years, thirty years, and all of a sudden he he goes astray. It can be just be a small things that makes everything because it's going to be quite dark, and you can hear things uh, like different birds, and that might be easily associated with the laughter from the forest spirit and. In those uh, occasions, everything will like become alive for him, and uh, can walk in circles as, a, as actually a, a certain um, uh, psychological thing that you sometimes just walk in circles become see see things, and uh, this might be happening. And then uh, people might think it's because of the forest spirits. And some people even went astray, went away, and never never returned when they walked into the forest. So there are similarities there between uh, that forest spirit uh, and the idea of fairies leading people astray in in our um, culture here Um, uh, and being pixie led for example um, yeah i would say it's almost a same sort of thing yeah Yeah. so so is this part of a a broader uh, area of fairy traditions within sweden this character yeah it is but um as I said, it, she has many different names. But for example, in the northern part of Sweden, there, there's a, a, another kind of supernatural being, which is the tradition dominant there called Vitra. And Vitra can also, they're usually living like, like fairies in, as a collective, as a, as a families. And they can they usually look like human beings and rarely show themselves. But sometimes they, they're speaking about a, a singular uh, Vitter woman, woman uh, uh, who can... Uh, takes on the same uh, uh, attributes or things that we usually associate with the forest spirits as in other landscapes. So she becomes the forest spirit in some way. So, and, and, so there, there are different things that, um, and even on, on the island of Gotland, there's another being called Bysen, which is associated with all kinds of things. But on Gotland, she, that Bysen can also take on some, some traits that we usually associate with the forest spirit otherwise. So it's it's uh, yeah it's different, but she she's uh, yeah she's she's known from the, the northern landscapes to the to the southern ones everywhere actually. There's a different stories. But you also have the the other side of of this as well as we do with with household spirits and with more helpful spirits within Swedish folklore. How how do they fit into the equation? Are they very similar to to what we see with with like Hobbes and Brownies, for example? in our law yeah the, the the one if you, if you look at for example the farm there is a a more uh how do you say uh, a better spirit a household spirit a farmstead spirit called tomte usually in sweden which is actually the most popular supernatural beings we, being we have which is a helper in a way he's helping the farm and but he's also uh, maintaining order and uh, morale morale at, at the at the farmstead so he can be quite angry as, as well but he so, so he lives the closest to human beings actually in a way because he lives with them 
but even though he's mostly invisible, it's always that he he. Uh, but the forest space is it's like something liminal. It's, it's on on the borders outside, and she's she's not alone. There are many many kinds of supernatural beings which you can encounter if you walk a, a bit from your homes, actually. And there are other things that can live close to your home, which is obviously have witches. You have sometimes werewolves that can roam around. It sounds like if Scandinavia is <laughs> like a fairy country, but. <laughs> Actually, that's an interesting point. Uh, we, we, we've spoken before uh, on the podcast about fairy sightings in more modern times. Uh, yeah. there's, there's still quite a wide belief in, in fairies in many areas. Um, and we still see that, even if they're not widely believed in, we still see that sense of caution in some places that you know, we can't put a new road through here because it's going to go through a fairy fort, for example, you know, and in, in some places developers would just go out and we just plow through the land and that's it. Um, but, but in other areas, they're very mindful of these things still and, and will reroute a road to go round these sorts of things. How is belief in Sweden in modern times for these sorts of things? That's a good question. Uh, it actually it depends. Uh, in in more urban areas like Stockholm or Gothenburg or something, most people would probably say that they they think they don't believe in these kind of things. They think it's almost silly in some ways. But at, at the same time, the same people can actually believe in ghosts. Ghosts. So, <laughs> but if you go at some on the in the rural areas, you have, for example, there was an article in the Folklore Journal just. 2019, I believe, Matthias Nygård about Tomte stories in Helsingland, which is uh, contemporary uh, fieldwork among people. Now they've seen the, the Tomte. And I, I also encounter a lot of people who say that they have encountered uh, different, uh, from trolls to, to Tomtar. Uh, and I also written an article which will come out in English uh, sooner, I hope, about um, traffic accidents blamed on supernatural beings in Sweden. Mm. There's a motor highway in Gästrikland, in, in and, and there's a mountain next to that. And they built this road in the 1970s. And after that, there's been a lot of traffic accidents on this, on this road, which the uh, government also sees. But there's a local explanation that, that this is because they built it on top of the, the, the road of the Vitra or ferries. And this is the same motif as you find in Ireland or in, in Iceland, for example, with um, Elfar, <laughs> mm. folk, which So it's the same kind of story in a way, uh, but we have it also here in Sweden. And this became a, news, a big news fact actually a couple of years ago <laughs> in some papers. So I wrote about that in an article and interviewed people who claim to have uh, had uh, contact with these uh, beings. That's really interesting. I, I, I'm thinking of other other pieces of folklore along similar lines. There's certainly not too far from me. There's the um, the legend of the hairy hands on Dartmoor, which is a very well known piece of folklore about these these ghostly hands that would grab the steering wheel of a car or or the handles of a motorbike and pull you off the road. This goes back to the early 20th century, um, and and as far as we can ascertain, became um ascribed to this stretch of road which had a really dangerous camber on it so so vehicles would naturally sort of pull off to the side of the road and and the the sightings and the tradition died out when the road was changed and re-leveled so mm. that it was easier to drive on so so it's interesting that there is still quite a, a kind of 
broad set of, of beliefs of, of supernatural things being ascribed to stuff like road traffic accidents. That's really interesting. So finally, tell us what you're working on at the moment. Oh, I'm, I'm working on different things, but one of the things I'm working with uh, uh, on is uh, is a project on actually um, changes in folk supernatural belief in the supernatural from I look at how, well, how things change when people move into Sioux cities urban areas what how for example we don't speak about forest spirits inside uh, Uppsala where I come from even though there's a statue next to the train station <laughs> well, we don't speak about the neck for example in the city area but there are different um, supernatural beings that uh, thrives in a way in in cities for example ghosts or haunted places and things like that so and it's also becoming you know uh, everywhere all around the world a tourist industry about ghost walks and things like that and it's that suits the, the urban milieu quite well but what happening also with how, uh, we, we change what we believe in but we still believe in things people tend to say that they don't uh, have any some people say that they don't believe in anything supernatural but they still uh, are doing all kinds of everyday magic practices for example mm. they are thinking about luck in, in certain ways or yeah there was this great exhibition at Ashmolean Museum in in, uh, in Oxford and and the, the catalogue there they also have this different questions about uh, belief today and they have everything from you know locking your uh, 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 call small locks at uh, bridges mm. yes love, yeah. love, love locks yeah. yes yes and also this extreme question would you stab uh, a photo of someone you loved and most people were <laughs> no even though they say that they don't believe in any kind of <laughs> link between that but still that was too much for me superstition is it's so inherently a part of our mindset that we do it without even thinking about it. I think this, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, I mean, you walk down the street and there's a ladder up against a wall. A large proportion of people will not walk under the ladder, even though they claim to not be remotely superstitious. They somehow just won't take the risk or it's an automatic process. So, yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of that kind of thing, isn't there, even if we're not aware of it. And sometimes uh, belief in something that can be compared to supernatural beings just pops up and or it's everywhere. For example, this belief in, in the phantom clowns just in 2016. Mm. It disappeared quite fast. but And I compared it. I also wrote an article in English about that, comparing it with the werewolves in Trelleborg in the 1970s. It's also on Folklore Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's very, it was very similar mechanism behind that. And for a while, the police had alarms from all everywhere, of, and pe fr uh, parents were really uh, frightened, and the children were even more frightened. And just for a couple of weeks, the police were actually hunting werewolves, and and the, and the newspapers obviously uh, reported a lot about that for just a, a short period of time. Yes, these things do come and go sometimes, don't they? Yeah. But but while they're in the news, it's fascinating to watch how they develop. I remember that I was sitting actually in the National Library in Stockholm, looking at the old from the 70s the newspapers. And at that time, this was in 2000, early 2017. And at that time, it was still, um, the news were still writing everything about uh, clowns. Mm. But they were dead serious. Uh, when you compare it to the 1970s, the, the alarms about the werewolves, or even about the mummy in 1974, uh, you, there was some kind of irony from the journalists 
perspective. Yeah. Even though the parents or the policemen or the, or the children were, yeah, they were very much in it. Mm. Uh, and these things can develop as well, can't they? I mean, it's, this is not, <coughs> not, not a far cry from the um, image of Slender Man coming out, you know, yeah. which we talked about in the very first episode of the podcast many moons ago, um, and how then that took a tragic turn with the, with the stabbings in America, which yeah, were, yeah. which related to this as well. So you you know something that appears frivolous in even in folklore can't always remain that way. But but that's a that's a good thing actually because you now you, you're not <laughs> what you were saying now because you were coming back to the first thing again year walk mm. uh, because after my talks on year walk. I remember yeah. especially at the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Boscastle, people were coming up to me asking me about um, guidelines for year walk. And I seen also on the internet after there was some kind of thing on Atlas Obscura about uh, based on my article on year walk. Mm. And they have a lot of followers. And, and also that I saw and I was contacted and saw some people actually saying that they have been on year walks uh, after that. So it's coming back. It's like an ostensive action in a way. Yes, it's interesting that they go. These things go full circle. Yeah. So uh, you say you you have writings on folklore Thursday in English, which people can look at. If people want to look at any other things that you do um, in Swedish, is quite easy. In English, if people want to look at your work, have you got suggestions for where they should go? A folklore Thursday is, is a good good way, but otherwise, it's an academia or something. I try to collect things that I. I'm allowed to, to put there. I put yes. there. And so, yeah, it's, it's some, some things in English and some things in Swedish. Excellent. Uh, do everybody seek out some of Tommy's writings and, uh, and have a look at his research because there's some really fascinating stuff in there. Uh, Tommy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us about your research. And I shall look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Thank you very much. So there we are. The end of a pretty tough year. We've tried our best to not only keep going, but also to increase the amount of content to see you through it. I hope in some small way we've made a difference. If so, why not tweet us at FolklorePod, or email thefolklorepodcast at gmail.com and let us know. It can be pretty isolated on this side of the microphone, and feedback is always appreciated. We will be back in the new year with Season 6, which is very much still under development at the moment. But we have one full episode ready to go, and some more book club episodes releasing soon, so there will still be plenty to listen to. There are a lot of projects planned for 2021, including some changes to the website, so look out for those. Don't forget, if you can, to give us some support over at patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast and access even more extra content. Thanks for listening. See you next year.